With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. You're listening to another ambitious entrepreneur network.com podcast, the voice for entrepreneurs and small business. Now onto the show. You're listening to Women in Leadership Podcast, Episode 64. Hi, I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cross, brand and communication strategist, also known as the Podcasting Queen. Welcome to another episode of Women in Leadership Podcast, the podcast that empowers you to reach your full potential. As a leader, whether it be in your own business or in a corporate environment, do you truly value your worth and your expertise, or do you tend to second-guess yourself, and therefore you search endlessly for more information and evidence to shore up your beliefs? Now, be honest, I'm sure we can all relate to that at one time or another. Join me on today's show is Dana Rubin. Her work is focused on helping organisations and individuals showcase their expertise. Dana believes that companies and organisations have human talent that can be profoundly powerful internally and externally. And every time a leader steps onto a platform, authors an op-ed or an article, or if a leader leads a town hall meeting, that person sends a signal about their organisation's brand, assets and values. While Dana's background is in corporate speech writing, most of her work today involves training, one-on-one support and public speaking that helps individuals and companies stand out in the marketplace of ideas. And on today's show, Dana will share how to recognize and own your expertise, how to nourish your confidence, as well as how to be strategic. So welcome to the show, Dana. Thank you so much. I'm really pleased to be here. Yes. Look, I love what you're going to share today because before we press record, I was talking about how I know that I can certainly relate to second guessing myself. And before you know it, you analysis paralysis sets in. And sometimes it's just stepping back and recognizing and giving yourself permission to let your expertise, let your wisdom and knowledge shine through. So thank you so much for, for sharing that with us today. You're very welcome. I think it's a very human thing to do to wonder, you know, what it is that we bring to the table. And Mm. particularly, I think women have a problem with this. We're socialized, I think, to to be interior and to wonder sometimes, you know, what what is our role? I think our role in society is is not very clear, not defined. And um, it's sometimes very hard for women to claim their expertise and to really own up to all the knowledge that we have Mm -hmm. and all of the um, experience that we have that brings value uh, to the organizations that we work for and to the clients that we serve. Mm -hmm. So really owning and accepting that we do have experience and we do have expertise that is very valuable uh, in the world is really the first step to claiming your, your leadership. Are there some common themes or some common areas that you see are the reason why we're not stepping forward and we're not owning our expertise? Well, it's, it's really funny that um, you should ask that particularly because when I work with clients and I ask them, 
what are they an expert at? Mm -hmm. Usually I, I hear one of three things. One thing that I'll often hear is that, you know, I'm really not an expert. Uh, ask someone else, which is really ridiculous because each of us by this point in our lives, we've been in the workplace. We have um, many, many skills. We have edu we're educated. We've, we've been in the working world and we know things. There's knowledge that we bring to the table, but for some reason we are reluctant to use the E word to call ourselves an expert. Uh, the second thing that I often hear is, um, you know what, it wasn't just me who, who accomplished this. It, it, it was a group effort. Uh, I was part of a group, so I really can't call myself, I can't really can't give myself the credit. And, and again, you know, if you're part of a group, um, it doesn't matter. You are still bringing your full capabilities and your full talent and your full knowledge to the enterprise. So there's no reason why you can't claim um, your expertise. And the third thing I often hear is, uh, I don't want to brag, hmm. which is particularly interesting um, because I have to say, men don't seem to have problems with any of those things. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, I'm not knocking men. I have full, uh, tremendous esteem for men. In fact, in this regard, I wish we would all be a little more like men and be unafraid to say, I am an expert. I have value and I want to share that value with the world. Not only do I want to share it with the world, but I really have to share it with the world. It's my, it's really, it's my responsibility because if, if we don't step up and share what we know, then we're letting other people do that. And, mm -hmm. and we, we, we need to participate fully in in shaping the future, shaping the future of our organizations, of our own careers, and, and I would say the planet, really. Yes, absolutely. And I don't think we realize that each time that we do say something like that, oh, I'm bragging or a part of the team, we're actually minimizing our self-value because subconsciously we're telling ourselves, well, what I just brought to the table, the value that I offer, the level of expertise is not really that great. So, you know, we, we may not even realize that. Something else that I often see, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is that often Often our expertise has been developed over years of, of, of knowledge and skills and, and development, but often it also sits upon the foundations of some innate strengths, things that come quite naturally to us. And sometimes when things come quite naturally to us and they're easy for us because they're just part of who we are and how we show up, we take that for granted. And I see that happen a lot. Oh, anyone can do that. When in actual fact, no, not anyone can do that at all. It's something that you bring quite uniquely to the table. Do you find that too? Because things come quite easily, we disregard it. We don't see it as, as a real skill, as a real um, you know, value offer to, to our clients or, or to our company. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. It's a really interesting idea. I think of it a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. I tend to think that nothing really comes all that easily if we're really honest with ourselves. I mean, for example, I've been a writer since I was a child, but writing is still hard. I mean, it does, it is easier than doing higher math for me, or it's easier than, I don't know, many of the things I can think of, but you know, it is still a labor. Mm. And the more advanced I get in my life, in my life, the older I get, the more advanced I get, the higher my standards are. I mean, I think that's true of, of so many things in life. Like ask a, someone who goes on the stage and an actor, you know, it's easy for you. Well, no, it's not easy for that person. It's actually quite hard. It's hard to, hard to achieve mastery and hard to maintain a level of mastery. But what I think is going on when we, dismiss what we you know what we do and we think well 
you know, it's not that hard. What we're really doing is it's another form of really of putting ourselves down, mm. of fully acknowledging our own worth. And human beings in general and women in particular seem to have a multitude of ways, no shortage of ways that we do that. Yes. Yes, for so, sure. So, yeah, so I no, so I agree. It's another it's another form of of minimizing our true worth. Yes, yes. Now, I think one of the things that um, you said, and this was a lesson that I learned many many years ago, was around the the not bragging. But if someone came up to me and expressed um, gratitude or congratulated me on something, I would always say, "Oh, it was nothing," or you know that kind of uh, language. But then I thought, no, I'm not going to discredit their their comment because obviously that minimizes their comment too and I certainly didn't want to do that but also saying to them thank you I really appreciate that and that's made a world of difference because it's it's thanking them obviously for the comment and coming up to me but also recognizing that you know what um it was it was a good outcome so yeah that that certainly was a learning for me yeah, it's, it's really interesting that you mentioned this because the psychology of the way that we relate as women is very complicated. And I mean, how many times has someone come up to you and complimented you on something that you're wearing or the way that you look or some item you have? And the first thing that pops out of your mouth is, oh, I bought this on sale yeah. or I just this <laughs> up or gosh, you know, it's wrinkled. <laughs> Don't tell anybody, but I have a spot, which is mm. kind of ridiculous. Yes. You know, so I, you know, I have really tried when someone gives me a compliment of any sort of just saying, as you do, thank you. But I think it pays to acknowledge that one of the reasons we do that is because we are affiliative. Mm. You know, we think as women that to admit our flaws is a way of bonding. And it's true. It, it's why we have such intense relationships. It's why we are better at intimacy. And we don't want to lose those things. Mm. I don't want us not to have those things because they make our lives rich and meaningful but I do want us to have a um, a fuller toolkit or a fuller range of tools that we can use so that in various um, environments we can be different ways um, for example you don't talk to a child you wouldn't talk to a six-year-old child the way you would talk to your boss and your organization Right. Or you wouldn't talk to your girlfriend the same way you might talk to somebody that you were pitching a product to or somebody that you wanted to invest in your business. So it just is it's very important that we have a, stri a strategic understanding of our audience, of who we're talking to and what our intent is to be very intentional about our communications so that there's sometimes when we want to be affiliative and we can be more humble and admit our flaws and there are other times when we have to you know tuck that away mm. and put on a, a different face and that really segues beautifully into around the area of confidence so what are some things we need to know around how to nourish our confidence confidence is so important and for some reason women just have a hard time with it it's really the foundation uh, on which everything else is built and i particularly work in the area of thought leadership so I help women claim their, I have a lot of all my clients, but particularly I have a focus on helping women clients claim their expertise and understand fully their, their expertise and their value and then put that out into the world, mm. um, put themselves out into the world as leaders. And without confidence, you can't do that. Without confidence, you can't uh, see what your worth is and you can't step forward. 
because stepping forward as a thought leader is a very visible role and it's a very exposed role and it's it, it's a vulnerable role and in order to play that role successfully you really have to be confident. What would you say then to someone who would love to be more visible, to be more out there in specifically in the area that she feels called to, to be more of a thought leader, but is afraid of the feedback? Because here in Australia, and I don't know if, if you have heard this term in the US, but there's a term here in Australia called the tall poppy syndrome. And this is when someone does stand up, someone does share their thoughts, and yet other people kind of cut them down to bring them back to the same level at which they're playing, which is not very nice considering, um, you know, that you may have a voice to, to share. So have you got that term in, in the US? And what would you say to someone who is fearful that she will get criticized or, or cut down, so to speak, if they're talking about the tall poppy syndrome? That's an interesting, that's a very interesting thing to raise. You know, I know the term because I lived in England for a long time. Ah. And in England, there are a lot of uh, Australians, and the term is very popular there. And I knew, I always knew it was an Australian term, although I have not been to Australia. But it's also integral, in in my view, it's also part of the British sensibility. Yes. You know, British people in general, not in specific and aggregate, I think, experiences too. But it's not a particularly American characteristic. I think Americans are more comfortable with being individual, with a, with a concept or the notion of individualism. Mm -hmm. Having said that, I mean, that is a big cultural um, generalization. Having said that, I really honestly believe that women, wherever we are around the world, have more in common than our cultural would dictate. And I, I think that American women have just as much problem or just as much challenge as Australian women or South African women or women around the globe do claiming their expertise because fundamentally our gender is more profound and more powerful than our national or our cultural affiliation. Mm. And here in my culture and among the women that I know, we suffer from the same challenges of standing up and stepping, stepping forward. But I will say that I think that this is changing. In recent years, I have seen our culture changing. Specifically, uh, I think that some of the big, some of the important factors have been Sheryl Sandberg mm -hmm. stepping up her book Lean In and um, telling, telling our culture, making it clear in our culture that it's important for women to step up. And I think there have been other factors, too. Um, and I have to say our political situation, you know, regardless of what, what people think of our political leadership right now, I think Trump has been a real catalyst for women. Across the political spectrum, we see more women stepping up and, and wanting to be political leaders and wanting to share their um, leadership and their ideas. Mm. I think political, we are living right now in an intensely politicized climate. And I think that women understand that they have an important role to play because if we don't step up, then other people are going to do it for us. And I, I really do see this happening with with women across the political spectrum. So we're living in very dynamic times and the opportunities are um, opening all the time for. And, and another thing that's happening, too, I think, is the whole diversity movement, the whole identity politics movement and diversity movement very controversial, you know, extremely controversial and even very explosive in our society. 
the positive thing, the, the, the absolutely positive thing to come out of this is that there's more opportunity and more acceptance for women to step forward and be whatever it is we want to be. Mm. There's never been as much um, fluidity and openness in our um, workspace and in our political realm and in our domestic lives. So it's a time of tremendous opportunity and I'm full of optimism for what for the future and for what future generations of women, younger generations of women can can be, can yes. claim for themselves and shape the workplace and shape society uh, the way they want it to be. If you're thinking about uh, some of the women that you have worked with and have supported who really recognise, have recognised the expertise that they have to offer and their value and now are stepping out and stepping up and sharing their message around the area of thought leadership, what were some, some shifts that perhaps that they had to make, maybe some mindset shifts or even some practice practical things that they needed to do to enable themselves to then get out there and share that voice? I would say the most important thing is to, aside from confidence, you really have to master the confidence or let's say you have to acknowledge the confidence issue. Mm. Um, but moving on from that, I think the most important thing to do is to think in terms of strategy. Yes. Strategy means you're not just um, thinking tactically, like what is my next move, but you're thinking what is my next move going to lead to the next move beyond that and the next move beyond that, like, like a chess player, right? Mm -hmm. So strategy means you look ahead at the longer term consequences. One of the tools that I use with my clients is a timeline, a timeline tool, and it is exactly that. It's a timeline. And it moves chronologically through time and it starts at the present and it ends at, let's say, a year, a year and a half from now. And a year and a half, it, you take the timeline and you and you put down at the very end, let's say a year and a half from now, you say, these are the things I hope to achieve. I would like to be a recognized expert. I would like to have to build my business, let's say, to grow my business. I would like to have clients come to me rather than have me go chase after them. Mm -hmm. Or I would like the media to come to me and recognize my expertise and, and call me for quotes or call me to be on the, the news program. Um, whatever your goals are, and it can be all of those goals or it can just be a few of them, um, then you start to think about how can I build my own thought leadership, my own visibility to reach those goals. So you would, this, the beginning would be something around the area of expertise and messaging. What is it that I want to claim my expertise, is, my expertise in and what are my key messages, right? You could call them talking points mm -hmm. and write down, right? This goes at the beginning of the timeline. What are the three things I want to be known for? What are the three messages I want to put out into the world, right? So that's the first step. And then you fill in all the rest of the space what are the tools and the vehicles that are going to get me there? Are you going to write a blog? Are you going to start a podcast? Are you going to become a public speaker and look ahead and see where do you want to speak and start booking yourself into venues? You know, these are all tools that will get you to the ultimate goal, but you need to be very intentional about them because each one of them requires specific tactics and specific steps that you must take. You can't do it haphazardly, but if you do it intentionally, each one 
builds on the one before and amplifies the one before and you build momentum into the process. Yes, yes. I know for many women in business who are trying to then establish themselves as a thought leader in their industry, when they think of all of the things that they can do, it can become quite overwhelming. And I like the way that you said that one can amplify the next. And I this is probably one of those uh, questions that the answer is, well, how long is a piece of string? Do you find that when you're mapping out or supporting uh, someone in then mapping out what they need to do, take the steps, that one aspect like a blog or speaking, just one just seems to give them in terms of bolstering that thought leadership, one is better than the other? Or do you then work with someone to decide, well, what's what way of communicating is your preferent, you know, preferred way? Is there a way to help people kind of decide what should I be doing first? What's the first step? Well, it just depends. It depends on what your goals are and mm. it depends on what your natural preference is. I mean, in an ideal scenario, you would be doing all of them, but none of us have time to do all those and none of us are good at all those. I would say I come from the written word because I'm a mm -hmm. writer, mm -hmm. but I do recognize that writing is very hard for a lot of people and it takes a lot of time. And if you have the resources, you can hire someone to help you with your writing. You know, that's very common. But the one thing that you cannot hire someone to do for you is to speak for you. You can't have someone step up on a <laughs> stage. <laughs> so I would say you know, ideally you're going to do all the, all of these, but the mm. one thing that I would really urge you or urge my clients or listeners to put their resources into is to develop their speaking presence. And there are many ways that you can do this, many ways that don't really cost a lot of money and are fun. And one of them, one of the ways that I always recommend to my clients is to join Toastmasters. Mm -hmm. I know you have that. I know there are many Toastmasters yes. clubs. I'm all throughout Australia and all over the world. And it's a, um, it's a, it's a non Toastmasters International is a nonprofit organization that is um, committed to public speaking and leadership. Um, and that you can go to Toastmasters meetings. I'm sure they have them at breakfast and lunchtime and, and dinner in the Sydney area and every mm -hmm. other area where our listeners might be listening. Um, but you know, that's only one way you could also, um, you could hire a speaking coach or you could just put yourself out there and speak to your, to, if you're just a beginner, you could speak to a relig your religious organization. You could speak to a local Rotary Club. Um, that's another international. I just spoke to a Rotary Club in my community last week. Yeah. So there's, there's a no shortage, a multitude of ways to put yourself out and hone your speaking skills. Always, always, always. I recommend people to get video. If at all possible, have someone with, with an iPhone or with a, a small, you know, camera of some sort to videotape you so that you can watch it later. That is the best way I know to improve your public speaking skills. Yeah. You know, some of those things you can repurpose. Uh, you know, you might have a presentation that you deliver, someone records that, or even if you're on a podcast interview, you can then get that transcribed, which can be the basis for a wonderful article or maybe even a number of different articles that perhaps you can get someone to write for you and flesh out a little bit. So sometimes it is really just looking at what can I do first and what can I repurpose? What can I leverage from that to create other pieces of content that can help me uh, build that thought leadership up? Yes? Absolutely. And you're, you're really astute to point that out. And I should have been more explicit about that. That's the whole reason for the timeline, because when you have your core messages, 
down. Then you can see how you use those same core messages over and over and over again. And you write an article and then you turn that article into a speech. Yes. Or maybe use that in an interview that you're doing. Or maybe you use it in a podcast. Or, you know, there's a, there's no shortage of ways that you can use your content and repurpose your content. And you can, you know, you're going to develop themes that belong to you and that you have mm. competence and con you know, confidence speaking about or talking about or sharing. Um, but you but you can um, amend them. You can make them more timely. You know what you can you know what one of the things I recommend to my clients is to develop their material into an op ed or editorial and then wait until something timely happens until it becomes in the news and then pitch it. To, to editors. Yeah. I, in fact, I'm doing this myself. In fact, I'm working on an op-ed right now that I want to pitch in late August because it's timed. It has to do with education. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to pitch it to national publications starting in August when the school children are headed back to school. Yes. So, you know, I recommend to my clients that you don't wait until something timely happens in your field. If you want to be out there with your opinions, you know, put them down, get your ideas down, get your arguments down, get all your statistics or whatever evidence, whatever form of evidence you have, and then find the right opportunity or wait for the right opportunity to use it. One of the things that I wanted to point out, just in case people have missed it, you have said key messages and that then flows through no matter whether you are on a podcast, whether the media are interviewing you, whether you're writing articles or delivering a keynote or presentation. When you do that and that, that fine key message comes through that is really what's going to pin that thought leadership on you where you bring that unique aspect or element to the conversation because how many of us or, or unfortunately some some men and women when they're speaking about so many different things around so many different topics so many different areas that doesn't really hone in does it to to really being a thought leader in a certain area do you find that too when it's sort of like the jack of all trades master of none almost that that saying yeah of course so here's the thing by the time that we uh, get to adulthood we are good at many things mm. we're good at many things we might be very good at the ecology or or the environment and we're also good in sport or we have a craft we're crafters or we're gardeners but if you want to be a thought leader you want to be a recognized expert you have to choose what is it that you want to be known for? Because it is exceedingly diff difficult for people to be known for more than one thing. Mm. Only when you're much more advanced in much more advanced in your professional life or your career can you really be known for more than one thing. Yes. So I always counsel my clients to focus on one thing, to figure out what is the one thing that they want to be known for, and then work more, mine that more narrowly. And, and many people have problem with this because it feels like a restraint. Yes. Right? It feels like being boxed in or forced to make a choice that feels uncomfortable. Um, and I recognize that feeling. Those are valid feelings. But really, the, you, you need to recognize that by narrowing and by focusing, you're actually sharpening your edge. Mm. Yes. If, if you choose too many things, you're going to dilute your identity. That's And that's not helpful. No, not at all. Look, everything you've shared today is so valuable. And I'm sure people would love to know more. How can they get in contact with you, Dana? 
They can reach me through my website, which is visibilitylab.com. That's visibility with a Z, or do you say Z in Australia? Yeah, Z. V-I-Z-I-B-I-L-I-T-Y, visibilitylab.com. And my name is Donna, actually. Donna, there you go. like Dana, but it's pronounced Donna. DonnaRubin.com. And I would love to connect with anybody on, on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter at, at visibilitylab. And you know what? I welcome, I'm on, of course, I'm interested in clients and building my business, but what I really value is conversation mm. and community. So I welcome anybody to get in touch with me. And because these are hard issues that, you know, we've touched on a lot of things having to do with identity and our, our identities as women and gender and the political landscape and how our societies are changing. And we can really only figure out this all out if we talk to one another and grapple with these issues and help one another. So I really encourage dialogue and community and communication. Is there any uh, one last tip, one last insight that you would love to share with people before we finish today's show? I would like to just thank you for asking. I think I would just like to add an addendum to that last point. Um, I recently heard Reid Hoffman. He's the founder of LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. He gave a talk and he said, if you're looking for something in life, if you're trying to get something done, the answer is usually another person. And I really do believe that's true. I really think that um, whether we're looking for another job or we're looking to acquire a skill or we're trying to shore up our identity in some way, there's another human being on the planet who can help you. And so I, I really do put a lot of effort into um, networking, but networking in a, in a, in a spirit of mutuality. Yes. I really that we are social beings and we need one another and uh, so I encourage everybody to to reach out to one another and form community and in a spirit of generosity be, be mutually helpful. I love that one of my mentors his business motto and for his entire business is we're better together and I think that is uh, so true. Well thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your thought leadership around this area. I thank you. Well, that brings us to the end of another show. And please do reach out, share your comments, and uh, let's just bring a community where we are sharing and supporting one another. If this is the very first time you are listening to today's show, thank you so much. It really has been an honor. Do hope you come back every week. We have another amazing guest who shares their expertise. And if you haven't already subscribed to the iTunes channel, go ahead and do that. We're also available on Android, the various apps. That means every time we do release a new show, you won't miss out. You'll be the first to hear about that. So certainly do that and have a great week. Hope to see you again next week. See you later, Donna. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.